everyone. Welcome to a new episode of You're Wrong with me, David Harsani, Senior Editor at The Federalist, and Molly Hemingway, Editor-in-Chief of The Federalist. How are you, Molly? I am doing great, and it's great to be here with you. <laughs> Thank you. Same. Right back <laughs> at you. Um, so I think uh, a lot's been going on this week. We can uh, go through some of the stories, and, and we just heard, actually, I guess less than an hour ago, that uh, Joe Biden has covid which actually scares me quite a bit considering his uh, age, not because I have, you know, in general. Yeah, no, I ha- I, 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 I'm sure he'll be fine. I pray that he will be fine, but I have actually been worried about him getting COVID for years now. He's frail. and I mean, he seems to be in somewhat good health physically. Obviously, it's not going so well mentally, but I just pray that everything goes well. I think that would be very, very bad to have a prolonged recovery and just for the sake of the country and for him and his family, I pray that he gets through this. No problem. Oh, me too. I mean, I don't pray, but I hope. And, uh, and I think he will probably be fine. It's taken care of by some of the best doctors probably around and, uh, and all that. Um, I do have to, I, I immediately put out a prayer request, you know, on Twitter and someone responded, wow, first cancer and then COVID, this is a really rough week for President Biden. Well, was, that person course, just stole my joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say the same thing. But um, yeah, he accidentally said he had cancer yesterday, which is one of the weirdest accidental things you could say. But I have some thoughts on that. So I think first, I just want to say the cancer bit distracts us from the story that he told before the cancer bit, which is that oil slicks that fell from the sky in Delaware in the 1950s on his mom's car as he drove, uh, she drove him to school had caused cancer, had caused the cancer, not just for him, but for many of his friends or almost all his friends or however he framed it. He's used that same exact story to say that everyone he knew and grew up with had asthma only in April. And my theory is that he's that that's just made up, right? A B that when, when you have a fabulous like this or kind of a blowhard, they're always instinctively or reflexively putting I making themselves part of this story, this, this, you know, this dramatic story. And he said, I, because he's used to doing that. And then he didn't realize, you know, that it would uh, backfire because the next, words out of his mouth where everyone had cancer and uh, you know uh so that's one but two i also want to say and i don't i hate doing this but if donald trump had said he had cancer obviously we it would be a massive story we'd be talking to every doctor available but it is actually yeah yeah but it, it does actually i mean what if he did have cancer and we didn't know about it i mean it's not like you can trust this administration it's not like you trust him it's quite possible that you know he had a cancer scare or something like that I was just talking to my mom about how I, for some reason, tend to trust White House doctors. I always think they're going to make things sound a little bit better than they are, but I think they're going to be pretty straight about what the underlying issues are, which is one of the stupidest things for me to reflexively believe, given, you know, the history with FDR and all the untruths that people have said over the years. But for some reason, I've met a lot of these doctors. All doctors have a little bit of weirdness to them, but... um, I've just found them to be, again, usually favorable toward their person that they're treating as the White House doctor, but fairly straightforward in their analysis. My, I'm, I'm very trusting, skeptical. You're a trusting person. Right. No, I mean, in general, I trusted them as well. But, it, you know, I, 
as a journalist where even I don't really even consider myself a journalist anymore, more of just a pundit. I, I think that there's always a, a level of skepticism that you should carry around no matter what people in power tell you. Um, Joe Biden says a lot of crazy things and it's not okay that we get used to simply saying or simply accepting that he's not all there or that he's a nut or that he lies all the time. No one accepted that when Donald Trump was president. And I just don't believe that, that we should okay. accept it with this president. Having said that too, though, a lot of what Joe Biden's just a more extreme version of most politicians who tend to be narcissistic, who tend to put themselves in every story, anything that's happening. They like to have a story that relates to them somehow. Uh, and I think they're also just, these stories like this can be such a distraction from the bigger picture. I mean, far more disconcerting than him falsely claiming to have cancer yesterday is what he was claiming he would be doing in terms of issuing executive orders related to energy policy. He has very, very bad energy policy that is very destructive to the United States. That's so much more important than the fact that he's a narcissist and a fabulous, fabulous, which so many other politicians are. And I also think that when we focus on Joe Biden, we lose sight of how there's very little disagreement in the Democrat Party about all of these policy ideas. The only, I mean, other the only people in the entire elected office who are who are opposing Biden's radicalism from the center are Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. And then you've got a bunch of people who think he's not far left enough, even though his radical policy on all sorts of things from energy to the border, to the economy, these policies are shared by the entire party and are very destructive to the country. Thank you for, for, for that and giving me a chance to rant about this because the, I think it was Barack Obama really changed the dynamics of this argument. You know, whenever Congress didn't do what he wanted, he'd argue, now I have to do something. You know, now I am justified and there's a rationalization for me to abuse power, basically. And Biden made the same argument. But when Congress doesn't pass something, they're literally telling you they don't want it. You, it, It's not an excuse for abusing your executive power. It is literally them saying we're not going to do this and you can't. We're less than a month away from uh, West Virginia EPA decision by the Supreme Court, which said that the executive branch can't regulate this way. And, and, and Biden was going to I think Biden was going to do it. I think that there was just pushback probably. And um, considering the, you know, gas prices and things like that, he decided not to go through with the emergency declaration. But even talking about it, I mean, it's just like dictator level stuff. I don't care. You know, first of all, there's no emergency. Summer is not an emergency. Um, there is really no reason. You know, the, ga the, the high gas prices are a far bigger emergency than climate change is. And, and yet I would be against any sort of emergency uh, for that. And I quickly just wanted to say that the hypocrisy drives me crazy. And I don't listen. These are supposedly defenders of democracy and they're constantly they're constantly cheering on Supreme Court ruling unilaterally on things they want. The president ruling unilaterally on things they want. When uh, when uh, when Donald Trump uh, declared an emergency at the border and redirected some funding, you would have thought like Hitler had taken over. And yet the, the, uh, <laughs> they want a declaration on climate, on carbon, which is everything, which is literally everything in the economy. And they have no problem with that anyway. So that's my rant. So that issue of how the left defines democracy as any policy or political situation that they don't like 
keeps cracking me up. Like I read this big piece about how it's not just the United States. There are all these other countries where electoral outcomes aren't going the way the left wants. And they described it as a threat to democracy. And, you know, we're not even I hate when people describe the United States as a democracy, because, of course, we're a constitutional republic with heavily democratic elements to that constitutional republic. But when people vote for things that the left doesn't like, that doesn't mean it's a threat to democracy. That just means that democracy in action is leading to results that the left doesn't like. Oh, yeah. I mean, they make no distinction about that. I read columns in The Washington Post and uh, they make no dis- they, they talk about the you know how democracy is, is 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 being threatened and there'll be a whole column and they literally won't mention any anything that threatens democracy they'll talk about abortion where literally the court gave back the issue to voters yes they'll talk, they'll talk about other issues that or like gun ownership now i'm not a fan of democracy i think it's a necessity in certain ways i think that when you have sort of un, you know just unfettered democracy it leads to tyranny frankly and that's exactly what they want a centralized oh. government where your vote is counts for less your vote in a state election counts for more in the local city council election counts more than the state election but they want you know new york and california to rule the country so my family and i drove from western new york Mm, back home to Virginia and we stopped in Frederick and we stopped at a gun store there that was just there near where we stopped. It was so crowded. And we were talking to the people in the gun store about how every gun store is so crowded these days. Um, And I, I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting how people are definitely feeling worried about threats to gun rights and you wrote a piece this week related to how the left was trying to argue at the worst possible moment for them that good guys with guns are not a thing to rely on in any way. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your piece? Sure. Well, e- Eli Dickens, if people haven't heard, was uh, with his girlfriend at an Indiana mall. I think it was uh, Greenwood, maybe something. I forget the name. And someone walked in and came out of a bathroom with an AR-15 rifle, started shooting. And this kid, well, he's 22, he's a young man, but kid to me, did something amazing. And if you've shot a gun, you know this is amazing. From 40 yards away in 15 seconds, he unloaded 10 shots, hit the guy eight times from 40 oh, yards. wow. I didn't know it was eight seconds. times. Yeah. That's amazing. So, I want to know so much about this guy's <laughs> training and like who he is. Yeah. Right. So oh, he leaned wow. against a pole, threw his girlfriend on the floor, said, stay down, and then shot um, this guy eight times. Now, he, of course, showed more bravery and composure than all the police in Texas during that shooting, that, that awful shooting at the school. And um, but what made me, what, what's interesting about this is that all the anti-gun folks, they can't even admit that this was a good thing. They couldn't admit it. The New York Times, every, basically every establishment uh, media outlet had a piece saying that this rarely happens, that it's, you know, there people having guns like this is more dangerous than not. Um, but most of those numbers are untrue. For instance, the, the New York Times goes through, uh, it has this, this study that says that only 22 of, you know, 433 incidents did anyone uh, stop a shooter. Well, first of all, that's great, right? Well, 22 is better than zero. It is also more effective than literally any policy that Democrats want to pass, including red flag laws, including bans on certain guns. But I mean, there's no 
you know, there's no, it's very hard to quantify these things because you don't know how people act when laws are in place. Well, they'll act a different way. But when you look at red flag laws, for instance, there's only been two cases in 41 of the worst mass shootings where people say red flag laws might have stopped the the assailant. And we don't even know if that's true, that, that the percentage is lower. So wh why they called it a statistical unicorn, this, this Eli uh, what was his last name? Let me just look it up real quick. Dick, Dickens. Dickens. Um, he, it is not, I mean, it, it and oh, oh yeah. And my last point is almost, or most, we don't even know the exact number, but most of these mass shootings, the ones that are planned, this sort of nihilistic mass shooting, it's always aimed or almost always aimed at a no gun or gun free zones or places they know there won't be guns. What would, the, what would those statistics look like if a teacher could have a gun if they wanted to, or a person in a movie theater could have a gun? It would be very different. And it, to me, it, it is just immoral not to let people defend themselves in those situations. All right, so think about this. Many of us spend more time every day in our office chair than we do in our cars or in our beds. And that's why it's so important to invest in the right chair so that you spend those hours with the right level of support and the right level of comfort. And then you get the most productivity out of your day too. X chair has made my time at my desk not only more productive, but it's honestly one of my favorite places to sit for any reason. In fact, I'm sitting in it right now. Not only does X chair's patented dynamic variable lumber or DVL offer the ultimate customer my support, but my X chair can even give me a massage or heat up or cool down. And now thanks to X chair's new FS360 armrests, I can even adjust my armrests to the perfect position. It is truly an incredible chair. All these unique X chair features help the hours at my desk fly by in complete comfort. That's why I love my X chair. Again, I'm sitting in it right now. Go to xchairfederalist.com now. That's the letter X chair f-e-d-e-r-a-l-i-s-t dot com or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchairfederalist.com It's amazing. When my husband read the New York Times article, he said the exact same thing that you said in your headline, which was uh, they accidentally made the case for having more concealed carry. Yeah. It, it, and, yeah, I'm sorry. No. And that is a really good point. The last point, which I think the New York times actually criticized you for <laughs> pointing out that we don't know what's in the mind of the shooters. So if we had a more responsibly armed society, we might ex expect less wanton shooting. Yeah, and I think this incident really, really illustrated how out of touch people are, who anti-gun crowd is with reality. We have 400 million guns in this country. Shouldn't we be praising those who are responsible gun owners? I don't know if Eli was a, you know, train. it seems to me he must have trained a lot or gone to a range quite a bit to shoot like that. I mean, unless he's sort of blessed with some innate ability to do that sort of thing. And uh, he's obviously knew what he was doing and he was he was safe and he saved a lot of lives, probably. And they can't they make no distinction. There is no good guy with a gun for them. Everyone's a, with a gun is a bad guy. And that and, and that's just unrealistic, even if, if you believe that. So it's just an unrealistic way to look at the world. We have tons of guns in the United States and people sh who are, are responsible should be able to carry them. It's, it's that simple for me at least i just don't understand their position especially when you know when something like this happens 
Um, but anyway, I mean, let, let me ask you something. Would you, if you were allowed to carry a, a, a weapon, would you? Well, I don't know. I have very different, I've had kind of evolving gun relationships. So when I was young, was taught how to use guns at a young age. Um, growing up out West, you kind of needed them to either deal with vermin or to just protect yourself while you were hiking. And my dad always told me that you shouldn't be carrying a weapon unless you're prepared to kill someone, not just, you know, shoot, but you shoot to kill. So for a very long period of time, I felt that I just would frankly rather die than kill someone else. And then when I became a mother, my calculus just completely changed. And I realized I had a responsibility to my children to protect them. And so I kind of got back into guns, going out to ranges, practicing, getting range time, now teaching my own children, um, gun safety and all these types of things. But I still, I feel like when you conceal carry, and I know a lot of people who do, you are kind of, I'm, I'm not totally surprised that this guy was in the presence of mind to take care of this situation. Because my experience, the people I know who carry are just on hyper alert at all times. They are ready to go at any moment. They're surveying the situation and it's just a lot of work. And so I really have high regard for people who do it because basically the moment you have a loaded weapon with you, you are you know just constantly much more alert than everybody else. I don't know if I, I don't know if I, it was, if it would be responsible for me at this point to do that, but I do certainly think about it. And I have a lot of family members who do that. And so I, you know, I know the, I know the work involved in it. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I, I had the opposite, uh, upbringing you know only criminals had guns basically in new york in the 70s and early 80s where i grew up and uh once my dad was robbed he got a gun which was really hard for him to do i don't know if i've told this, you this story but he had to um to, to get a concealed carry in new york is incredibly hard for, since you know we just had mm. the supreme court case etc but he did and uh you know he's you know he would say things like i hope i don't embarrass him but you know he would say things like yeah if anyone came in here to rob me again i would shoot them immediately i wouldn't think twice and i thought that was kind of violent <laughs> in a way you know and, and things like that so i was kind of turned off to it in a bit though i understood it and then later again as like you when i had kids it changed my whole thinking because uh you know, you do anything to protect them. So um, let's talk about something else for a second. Um, <laughs> it's a terrible segue, right? But <laughs> There's so much going on in the world. There is. Now, you know, it's kind of been on the back burner a bit, the Ukrainian war. You see a lot of people with Ukrainian flags around and things like that, but we're not talking about it that much, but we continue to send them tons of money. And, uh, and weapons. Yeah, high grade no joke military and intelligence equipment. and intelligence. Yeah. And who knows how involved we really are. I mean, uh, I'm again, I, I don't have, I don't pretend to have any special insight into this, but I do know from history that every time we're this involved in a, in a conflict, we're more involved than we know. And that's just how it works. And that, and we'll learn more about that later, but there was a curious story in the, in Politico where there's a, 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 a congresswoman from Indiana, she's a freshman, her name is Victoria, I think it's pronounced Spratz, who was very pro-involvement in the beginning, but has since 
been more skeptical about all this aid going to what she believes are corrupt forces within the Ukrainian government. So she has sent letters and asked for more oversight and asked for more investigations. And and this political story, and by the way, it's not the first one, because I realized when I was reading this, I went back and there was another story just like it where where people were ripping into her and smearing her basically as a Putin stooge, basically as someone who is a patsy who has been tricked into believing things that are untrue. But what really got me going or my curiosity going is that it was done anonymously by Republicans on the intelligence on the um, Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, so why would a person on a on a powerful person on a committee who is who essentially is just repeating the institutional D.C. institutional position doing it offline or, you know, behind a wall of anonymity? So I think that this woman's being smeared and it, the more that she's being smeared, the more I want to know why the, her questions can't be answered. For instance, why we can't vet who in the in ukraine is controlling these dollars and this weaponry and what's going on there i tried to find out what's going on there and it's very difficult there's not there's not a lot of oh, information. how funny you think you have a right to know where our tens of billions of dollars thus far which is going to be ongoing for years um how that's being spent in one of the most famously corrupt countries on earth that's very cute that you think you have a right to know that people don't realize how corrupt Ukraine was. And again, I hope Ukraine is, is but yes, but I hope that that they do irreparable damage to Putin. I don't think they will, but I, I hope they do. I, I, I really am not anti Ukraine or anything like that. But facts are facts. There were I forgot uh, some bank in, in Europe did a report on corruption and they were like 130th out of 180 countries next to Gambia and like, or is that a country? Gambia? Yeah. And um, Iraq and places like that. There is no way that you reform and become virtuous when billions more all of a sudden are flooding into your country. The There's no accountability mechanism. Yeah, there is no accountability. Okay, so I just want to say, I have no idea about, it's Victoria Sparks. Sparks, I think. Sparks, I think. Sparks, sorry, sorry. No, I don't know. I'm so sorry. I should really, we should really know her name. She's, I've actually met her and she's very interesting. Yes, Sparks. S-P-A-R-T-Z. Yeah, she's Ukrainian. When the war started, she kind of made a name for herself by begging Biden to help out because she was saying that all of her, you know, friends and family back in Ukraine were being slaughtered and that his inaction was causing a problem. So when she was doing that, the Republicans brought her out to help push the war effort. But when she asked questions, not just about Zelensky, who is an incredibly wealthy man beyond what you might imagine a politician would reasonably be with homes all over the world and whatnot, and the people around him, then all of a sudden she's parroting Russian propaganda. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. As you point out, just dig into it. Tell us the facts. And even that piece is running at the same time that Zelensky is firing some of his right-hand right hand men, claiming that they're traitors. I mean, it seems like there are interesting stories here, uh, but they were a little too obvious in these anonymous quotes. Like they basically just said, we are worried this is going to hurt the war effort. Well, yes, Republicans, you went along completely with Biden's plan, for some reason, you adopted Biden's foreign policy. And yes, I would say that having an elected Republican who's brave enough to push back against any of that is probably hurting your effort. Uh, but so be it. Well, I, I should say our colleague, John Davidson, wrote a in-depth piece on this issue. Um, 
that people should read. I, I, you know, again, I think that when the cynic in me says that if people are smearing someone and, and, you know, the claim is that she's making a name, you know, she's trying to make a name for herself and that she is, um, you know, just, a, a you know, she wants attention and things like that. Well, she's taking actually a pretty brave stand. <laughs> there are very few people who question any of this. The votes in the Senate go through in, by huge margins to, to just send 50 billion or whatever it was last time. No one is, you know, no one is asking for any oversight. So I, I just don't. Oh, you want- remember Rand Paul asked for an amendment simply to make sure there would be oversight of how the money was spent and they rejected that amendment and condemned him. I mean, amazing. Yeah, I mean, again, historically speaking, when you think about our foreign policy entanglements and how everyone was pressured and, you know, to just go along, even even if they were wrong, and sometimes maybe they were wrong, but just the way that 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 the establishment crushes anyone who, you know, who asks questions about these entanglements. And this is a this is a dangerous one. It's, you know, you're talking about a nuclear power here and we are in essence in many ways at war with them now. Maybe American soldiers aren't dying, but we without us, that war ends tomorrow. Right. So I had this thought. Yeah. Do you remember when we were younger and we were constantly told we're on the we're, you know, we were in a Cold War and we would constantly talk about how many nukes Russia had and how they were pointed at the U.S. and we would be prepared for it. Were they just scaremongering unnecessarily with that? Because now we have never been as close to nuclear war as we are right now, with the exception of maybe Bay of Pigs. And they're not even talking about the 6,500 or whatever it is, nuclear warheads that Russia has and how that would affect how they handle any escalation of this war in Ukraine. All right, I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again. One of the reasons I'm in journalism is because I'm just relentlessly skeptical of absolutely everything, including those glowing MyPillow ads that we all see so much of. But my own skepticism personally was just gone immediately after trying MyPillow, which I really love. Did you know that MyPillow is also about more than just a fantastic pillow, though? Now MyPillow has given the same attention that they've given to those pillows I love so much to their new MyPillow Percal bedsheets. The sale of the year on those MyPillow Percal bedsheets is going on. Right now, the regular price for queen size sheets is $89.98, but now that's only $39.98 with your promo code. They're breathable, cool, and crisp. They're durable, built to last, machine washable for easy care, available in a variety of styles, colors, and sizes. And they also have a 60 day money back guarantee and a one year limited warranty. So go to mypillow.com slash federalist or call 800 794 8429 for Deep discounts on the MyPillow per cal bed sheets. Queen size regular for the price of $89.98 are now on sale for only $39.98. Well, there you can take advantage of the buy one, get one sale on MyPillows, towels, and more. Visit MyPillow.com slash Federalist or call 800-794-8429 today for the sale of the year on MyPillow per cal bed sheets. MyPillow.com slash Federalist or call 800-794-8429. interesting point um i don't know that we've never been as close uh, maybe well i I, it doesn't really matter this is we are and this is in europe and this is a a a more dangerous situation in many ways i uh 
That's a good point. I don't know. I mean, I think we should be a little more nervous about getting dragged into this because, you know, this is how in, in many ways I, this is how Vietnam started. Right. Or this is how other wars where we give material aid to, to, to you know, to 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 an, into, you know, we throw material aid into a conflict. Uh, we get dragged into it after a while. I mean, it only takes one incident for that to happen. So it does concern me again. I, you know, I think Putin's the aggressor. I don't, I want, mm-hmm. I think the Ukrainian people are their own people and deserve not to, you know, their own nation. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but reality is reality. That what bothered me about this from the very beginning is that we talk about Ukraine as it's some sort of bulwark of democracy when it is not right. It is right. not as corrupt, but it is also not democratic. I think Zelensky just suspended all of opposition parties in the country a few weeks ago. Right. This is not a democracy. And um, so I don't know, I guess that just it bothers me. And this is a story I wish that journalists, instead of allowing um, Republicans to smear this woman, they would ask <laughs> you highlight her questions or ask those questions themselves. Or ask those people who are smearing for evidence right. of anything that they're saying against. Like them. one Republican said they had vetted all these people. Did the reporter ask them to provide the report of this vetting that they right. did? Or in any way describe what that vetting meant? Right. As I mentioned, the column, it's probably the exact same process that we used to vet our Taliban allies as we left Afghanistan. Right. right? Um, So anyway, um, let's move on to another topic, something you wrote. Mm -hmm. You wrote a in-depth piece about a new study that came out, not study. What would you call it? A report. report called Lost, Not Stolen. And uh, essentially, it's about conservative case that Trump lost and Biden won the 2020 elections. Now, tell me what is wrong with the title and subtitle of that report. Uh, It's just a complete straw man. So the question isn't whether Joe Biden is our president or whether he was elected. People understand that he's our president. The question is whether the election had as much integrity as corporate media and other Democrats claim it did. And so this report was an attempt to dismiss all concerns about the election by doing something very, in my view, very weird. It just narrowly looked at the cases that were brought right after the election dealing with fraud and then listed how they turned out which we already knew how they turned out. But we also know in the last 18 months, there's been this massive amount of evidence and even court rulings and audits and in-depth looks at things that have shown that the election had massive problems and that people had every right to express concern about the election in the immediate aftermath. And so uh, what I thought was interesting, though, is There was this big rollout about how this was the conservative case for for dismissing any concerns about the election. And they said they had quoted people I saw in this one Never Trump publication The one of the reports authors said, you know, we we wanted to be conservatives who are expressing this to conservatives. And we have no ill will toward Trump or his voters. And I look at the list and I was even like watching some of the commentary. It was from the people who basically ranged between never Trump and people who actually opposed the Republican Party like a decade before Trump. That was the range of opinion. So one of the guys was authored was a federal judge, retired federal judge who was singled out by Joe Biden when Joe Biden nominated Katanji Brown Jackson as the Republican who loved Katanji Brown Jackson. You know, it's that type of person that you've grown very, you, you, you know, what to expect of those people. They kind of exist 
to be conservatives, so-called conservatives, who are endorsing some Democrat positions. So another one would be Ted Olson, former Solicitor General for George W. Bush, but more known for being the architect and mastermind behind redefining marriage to include same-sex couples. Um, you know, Gordon Smith, who wasn't even a conservative when he was a Republican senator many years ago. He had like an ACU rating of 33, not that that's the be all end all, but known as a liberal Republican. Um, you know, just, and then the guy who really drew my attention to this was this guy named Ben Ginsburg. Ben Ginsburg is probably more responsible for the mess that we're in, in terms of our election systems than anyone else. So shortly before the election, like 36 hours before the election, he was out there in the Washington Post begging people to vote for Joe Biden. So again, conservatives who can be trusted, endorsing Joe Biden. And he also was dismissing any concerns with election integrity, which is bad for anyone, but really bad for him because he was the top election lawyer in this country for Republicans for decades. It was on his watch that all of this like expansive, unsupervised voting came in uh, while Democrats actually just ate his lunch day after day after day. And so he says, there's no such thing as fraud. And fraud is, uh, he called it a Loch Ness monster, that there's no problem. While he was helping Democrats essentially bring in all the vehicles that make unsupervised voting so prevalent in so many elections. And to see these people treated as acting in good faith and legitimate and as if they'd done an exhaustive investigation into the election was infuriating. Uh, so I had to write up about it. And then I kind of went through some of the problems that they failed to note, such as private funding of government election offices to drive up Democrat votes in the blue areas of swing states, illegal voting in Georgia, which is not even in dispute, but has simply not been dealt with, um, you know, just sort of like the flaws with the way that they did the report. But this is an issue for a real reason. Republican voters aren't stupid. They care about this because they aren't idiots and they know that the 2020 election was unlike any election that they'd ever had. We have in that Time Magazine article written by Molly Ball shortly after the election, an admission that there was in her words, a conspiracy of a cabal of people who worked to change voting laws and systems and to control the flow of information in order to ensure the outcome that they wanted. It's not really up for debate. And yet we still have all these establishment figures trying to act like, no, there was nothing weird about the 2020 election. Well, there were a lot of weird things about the 2020 election, even if you're, you know, just before the election and, and what happened in Pennsylvania and et cetera. But let me ask you this. Is it as bad now? Do you think it's as bad now as it was leading up to 2020? Have 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 uh, have states fixed fixed voter integrity laws or have they gotten worse in certain states or what, what's the sort of national outlook right now? So I always try to remind people that debates over how to vote have been going on since before the country was founded. And it's not something where you need to despair that the situation is not great because you just need to get the work done of making it better. And you might think of how Democrats disenfranchised an entire race of people in the South for decades. And people didn't say, oh, I'm going to give up on voting. They just worked to make sure that that wouldn't happen. And now we have a large scale disenfranchisement of legal voting. I think we're we're opening it up to 
to voting that should not be um, permitted or that is very difficult to scrutinize for fraud. I never quote Jimmy Carter because he's the worst uh, ex-president I think we've ever had. Correct. But in 2000, after the 2000 election, he did that bipartisan commission with James Baker and they looked at voting and how to improve it. And one of the things he really emphasized in that report is that you need to have systems that people can trust because if people can't trust the systems, that's the threat to democracy. That's the threat to the country. And people keep on trying to blame Republican voters for being upset at the system when it's the system itself that needs to be tightened up so that both winners and losers can feel confident in the results of the election. But yes, some states have done a great job of it least doing some stuff, whether that's banning private funding of government election offices or making it more transparent for people to check results or for having a more constrained amount of expansive mail-in balloting, which is really destructive to that confidence that people need to have. Because unsupervised voting is very difficult to scrutinize. There are just so many opportunities for third parties to get involved and, and decrease the security they're in. Again, an issue we've had for hundreds of years. So it's I mean, kind of a mix. I mean, it's a yeah, mix. Colorado bag. has all mail ballots, right? And it's a terrible system where people, where ballots are just flying around all over the place where I know, I knew of people who would just fill in ballots for family members and things like that. I mean, there's just absolutely no way to, there's no oversight of that sort of, of voting, right? Well, and even, so I think there are very different systems with mail-in balloting, universal mail-in balloting. Some people have done a better job with it than other people. Some states have done a better job than other people. But in general, what we all recognized right up until like November 2020 is that mail-in balloting is the most ripe for fraud or any kind of unsupervised voting. And in fact, in Pennsylvania, this is an issue because their constitution requires in-person voting according to the court records there. This issue came up for them during the Civil War when there were people who were doing mail-in balloting at that time. So it's, again, not not a new issue. It's an old issue. And one of the things that they were talking about was like the need for the public to be able to scrutinize whether someone's a legit voter or not. And that is very difficult to happen when it's happening like completely outside the purview of any scrutiny. Yeah, this is one of those debates where the, the media uses euphemisms to hide what's going on. So vo- voting rights, they just... Of course, voting rights is a positive intimation, right? Voting rights. Everyone's for voting rights. So, but when you ever poll people and ask them specifically about these issues, Republican Republican ideas on voter integrity are incredibly popular. ID laws. They're like eighty-five um, percent issues. Yeah. Joe Biden called requiring a voter ID Jim Crow two point Literally eighty. 80- Five percent of the country agrees that you should have voter ID. But it is I do think it is a voting rights issue to not have secure elections. And what I mean by that is if you're allowing people to vote who shouldn't be voting and that can be a wide range of people who should not be voting. So, for instance, you have laws to make sure that your voter lists are good. And if you allow people to vote who are not legally registered, you're disenfranchising the people who follow the law, whether that's people who follow the law and if they're not registered to vote, don't try to vote, or people who are just following the law in terms of being registered voters who can vote. And so you need to rethink about how fraud or other election irregularities is actually harming legal voters and disenfranchising legal voters. 
cancel culture is coming to your bank and holding the wrong political views might soon leave you out in the cold. I'm Bill Walton. On the latest episode of The Bill Walton Show, Todd Zwicky, Paul Watkins, and I discuss what is already happening, how the Biden administration is already pursuing this agenda, and what we can do about it. This progressive culture offensive is relentless. It's coming for you, and you won't hear about this anywhere else. Follow The Bill Walton Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, the, the, the bill that Democrats wanted to pass, I think it was H.R. 1 on voting rights, you know, they banned state or vote IDs. They banned um, they wouldn't let states uh, like allow like ban felons from voting, for instance. So, so they, they, they it undermined free speech in numerous ways. Um, it was a completely unconstitutional attempt to take over elections. So I'm not sure that issue um, has any real resonance with voters? Do you? I mean, do you think that uh, voting rights is an issue that that drives people, or is voting integrity an issue that drives more people to the polls? Uh, I mean, we have like more people voting than we've ever had in history. In terms, of, I mean, it's just there's no question right. that there's not an issue of voter suppression. Election integrity is routinely listed as a top issue for Republican voters. It has in the recent past been a top issue for Democrat voters. And so I don't view this as a partisan issue, even though like it tends to go back and forth from one party to the next about who cares about it. Um, it is it is always like so funny to me how some of the things that you hear from Republican voters now sounds very similar to what you're hearing from Democrat voters in previous years. And some of it is crazy and a lot of it is not. You know, it's again, you want to have elections where the loser agrees with the outcome. And so that's why we have to have laws and processes that get buy in from all sorts of people and that limit the opportunities for fraud. Very, very well stated. I agree. Now it is time to talk about culture, though, yeah. <laughs> where we will disagree, maybe. Um, I heard yeah. a rumor that you have some things to, do. to recommend. I had nothing last time. And now I would just like to highly recommend this show that my husband. Um, Can I guess what me. show it is? Can I guess? Yes. The Bear. It's the bear. Yes. How did you know that? Because <laughs> I watched it too, and it was my recommend. I, I loved mean, it. We, we finished watching it, and I just sobbed. I, and it's not because it's like a particularly sad show. I cared so deeply about those characters. And I'm so sick of TV shows and movies that are about fantastical things. And to just have an incredibly well-written show about real people and their real life and all the drama and interest and like, love and passion that comes up about from that is just great. Oh, I loved it. And here's why I love movies and shows and books that take me someplace that feels authentic. And this feels really authentic. And more than that, the people were authentic. This is how people act. Everybody in yeah. it, right? This I is how people talk to each that. other. This is how people get angry with each other. And, um, and, and I also loved that it showed a, you know, a flawed people who care passionately about what they do. They put a lot of effort in. It's a show about meritocracy. I know I'm probably just reading into that, but it's a show where a guy is, is willing to sacrifice a ton to do something he loves, both for his family, both because he loves the craft and he expects everyone around him to- We should probably just do a quick description. Uh, this is a show <laughs> about a guy who returns, who's a very good chef, returns from 
his restaurant in New York to his hometown of Chicago because his brother, who has killed himself, has bequeathed to him the family restaurant. And so it's about the struggles with that restaurant, him trying to turn it around, him trying to deal with the confusion and anger he has over his brother's suicide and all of the intricate lives that are involved. And again, yeah, as you, as you put it, problematic, <laughs> flawed people, but I like that they don't just care about their craft. They care about each other too. And in ways that I think show the importance of community yeah. and family. I don't, can I, can I, I did have a little problem with something in okay. it. Am I allowed to do a spoiler here? I don't know. Well, new? I think, if people, I wish I could know what level of spoiler you want to do there. The ending didn't make complete sense to me um, <laughs> because it's not as if the thing that he found does not have to be repaid in the end. To the but, but just being out of out of the problem gotcha. enables. So when you're digging your way out of a hole, I think it's different than when you. Um, can just succeed on your merits without that boy was i mad at the brother for a while you know what i mean in that show the brother who 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 committed suicide it's just it's just fantastic on so many levels i was so sad that it ended and you know you know you love a show when you're like oh it's the last episode i even liked the al-anon stuff um you know anyone who has family members dealing with addiction knows just how like complicated but also not some of that stuff can be and I really enjoyed how they even like that. the dishwasher was great. Even like, like just, I loved every part of it. It felt very real. And I just, I cannot recommend that huh. more. Do you have anything else? I just want to say it's good. Despite the fact that David likes it. If anyone is worried about watching because David likes, it, I just want to dissuade people just kidding. Yeah. Like, I also had, oh, you have an attitude um, about this kind of thing where you pretend like people agree with you and not me on these shows I, in general just but pointing like, out that you you're bad at this sometimes <laughs> like the japanese movie i recommended you saw online a lot of people said it was it was yeah great name. yeah people agree with you it. okay i'm sorry go on we so i was speaking at the chautauqua institute recently and what it institute was chautauqua institution and okay. i was actually the, no, sorry. I it, actually, I wasn't speaking at the Chautauqua Institution. I was speaking near the Chautauqua Institution, which is this um, very interesting community in Western New York that brings in. It used to bring in speakers across a wide variety of perspectives. Where they would, you know, let's say they wanted to talk about the environment, they would have someone from a radical environmental group, and then they would have like a business leader, and then someone who's on the, you know on a committee that handles the environment from Congress. And then they would have like a journalist who covers it and a lawyer, you know, it was like all sorts of different voices they would bring in and they would speak to give you a full range of viewpoints. And then in recent years, it's just, and in fact, in recent decades, frankly, it's just become this crazy left institution where they just don't tolerate anybody outside of the left, unless it's like, they would think that if you took like a never Trumper, that would be providing diversity of some kind. Um, but there's a group of people there that is kind of sick of how it's betrayed the mission of the institution. And so they bring in alternate speakers. So I was an alternate speaker. It was a really interesting experience. We got to hear Marilyn Robinson speak. She's, I don't know if you like her or not, or if you've read I am her novel. Entertained by, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I confused her with uh, the, um, 
the presidential candidate. Who was that? Oh, yeah. What is her name? Marianne. Something. Marianne Williamson. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Marilyn Robinson, Pulitzer Prize winning yeah. author. And she gave an excellent speech on the intersection between science and religion. It was really well done. I got to go to an opera. I got to see Tosca with my daughter. Uh, we went to a symphony performance where they did Beatrix Matana. So it's that kind of place. It's like this real, there's no place like it on earth. I'm sorry. Did you a, say what town is it? It's Chautauqua. Oh, the it's town on, of Chautauqua. Okay. It's on Lake Chautauqua. It's this oh. heavily gated community of extremely wealthy, mostly white people. And then they have these great, you know, cultural performances and speeches. I don't even know. I'm going into all of this. Anyway, it's interesting. On the way back, we listened to something that my husband had downloaded that I thought was really funny, which is a BBC radio show called Cabin Pressure. And it's just, it's kind of stupid, but really funny. And it's good, even though it has Benedict Cumberbatch as one of the main characters. I do not love him, but it's about a sort of small airline. And the story of the owner and the two main pilots and the flight attendant and just the travails they go through. But it was making all of us laugh really hard, including the kids. Oh, I'm going to check it out. Yeah, let um, me know what you think if you do. Yeah, that. no, I will. Unlike you, I don't, um, I don't demean your, your choices of cultural choices. I have another TV show I liked, uh-huh. um, Severance on Apple+. Plus. Oh, yeah. What's that about? Uh, it's sort of this, there's this evil corporation, I guess, even though I'm not sure if they're evil in the end or not, we'll see that, uh, that has workers who can sever their mind into two parts. Mm. When you're at work, you don't remember anything that happens outside of work. And when you're outside of work, you don't know anything that's happened in work. Mm. So these two worlds, you have different friends, different problems. Um, and at one point, you know, they start intersecting. It has Adam Scott. Is that his name? He was um, the actor. It's got John Turturro who's real good. Mm, I love him. Christopher Walken's actually in it. Mm. And some lesser known actors and actresses who I think are really good. It is a mystery and it's weird. And I think, yeah, Ben Stiller, I think directs a lot of the episodes, though he didn't write, write, write the show. I don't think. Anyway, I think it's pretty good. And um, I would recommend that as well. Anything else? Or is that it? I mean, this is like getting back into politics, but because I was thinking about this interminable drive to and back from Chautauqua that took us through Maryland country, Pennsylvania country, and then New York country. Um, It was very helpful as a political reporter to get outside of these areas and see just how strongly people feel according to their yard signs that they hate Biden and love Trump. And it was kind of interesting to see all of the, it wasn't as much as you saw in 2016 when we drove through Pennsylvania after the Republican convention, but it was surprisingly high. I didn't see, I saw like a lot of mass, is it Mastriano? Is that his name for the Republican candidate for governor? Um, Did not see anything for the Senate race for either Oz or Fetterman, which was interesting, but a lot of anti-Biden signs, a lot of pro-Trump signs, like a ton and a ton of Mastriano. And it's just always helpful because you get all this, um, you know, when you live inside the beltway, 
you just get a very different perspective. And yeah. it's always a good reminder to talk to real people about what they think about the current state of the country. Yeah, I, I used to live, as you know, near DC. And I was always really surprised when I drove 10, 20, 30 miles away from the suburb, the suburban ring, how many like Trump signs there would be or like a tr- back of a tractor tr- trailer truck that would just say Trump on it. You know, it was just mind blowing how um, excited and people are about where about his candidacy and are about him. Uh, you never have seen that for Biden in any way. Maybe Obama had a lot of excitement with, you know, connected to his candidacy, oh, yeah. but uh-huh. and, and Trump did and Clinton, maybe even and, and Reagan, maybe not Bush as much, but I have not seen anything like that for Biden. Um, so I think, I don't think he's ever been a candidate that's excited that ex- has excited part of the population. I do want to say I saw the weirdest thing in Frederick, Maryland yesterday. Like the, I still I cannot stop thinking about it. I was in this mid-century modern furniture store and this guy was in there with his girlfriend and I swear he was wearing a Biden Harris t-shirt and I was like this dude must be the only person in America right now wearing this. It was amazing. Well, I, I would not say that I love Frederick. I think it's such a great town. I wanted to live there. It's an expensive place to be, but it is beautiful and a lot going on. But yeah, it's it's pretty left wing. So you might. Did you go to that something. record store there? We went to one. I yeah. What it's called. Oh yeah, I've been there many times. Yeah. It seemed like I was in there thinking this is a David Harsani record store. It had lots of like punk industrial. Yeah, punk. I bought a Lungfish album there once. A great DC <laughs> area band that's long gone, but. Yeah, that's a great store. They have a they have a theater there that um, puts on, you know, has comedians. I think maybe like Steve Martin was there, you know, at one point not that long ago. So it's pretty big names. It's a really nice. I thought Gordon Lightfoot was going to be there and it was sold out. No, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I quickly want to say I forget to say this. I forgot to say this in the last few episodes, but I want to mention that people can uh, email us at radio at thefederalist.com. I love when pe- we get like really funny email. People have good suggestions. I should say I haven't been responding to it, but I've been reading it. Yeah, we it read is, them for sure. I mean, you're an incredibly great. well-known person. So you probably get like many more emails than I do, but even I have trouble answering all the emails I get. I also think it's funny. Sean Davis and I talk about this. My email is always so nice. It's like too nice. It's people being very supportive, lovely. Yeah. Okay. And, Sean get anything jokes. like that. I get nothing like jokes that. that is always like crass and profane and insulting. So I don't know what it is. Like, I don't really, I get very rarely I'll get something from someone who's really, you know, threatening something. Even bad. the emails I get are usually when they go to both of us, do not even mention me. <laughs> it's like Molly, you're the best. <laughs> you know, they don't, it's like, you they know totally ignore me. I don't even know why they put me on, on the email. It's like the number one thing people ask me about. Are you so happy David is back? And I say, yes. I'm happy to be back because I am. Oh, gosh, I've tried to segue because I am a lover of freedom and anxious for the break. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 